I'm Cutter Calloway, and today we're Breaking the Marriage Idol with Dr. Dick Pritchard, Danielle Bennett, and Colton Simmons. Trust behind a sordid guidance, smother manipulated honey from rose. Dr. Pritchard is a professor emeritus and associate director for Azusa Pacific University's Center for Vocational Ministry. He provided premarital counseling for Danielle and Colton. You all are here. We are in beautiful Pasadena. And uh, and there's three reasons why the collection of you are, are around at this table. Uh, number one, Colton wrote this piece for this book all about how he's like single and it's a struggle. <laughs> oh yeah, that's exactly And what does it look? And then before the book even comes out, he goes and gets himself engaged. Um, uh, in fact, you're not the only one. Uh, another woman who contributed to it, uh, also single at the time, is now already married um, since the book. So there's, it's, it's like the curse. If you want to get married, you need to write a book about Yeah, you're like singleness. good luck Chuck. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just um, collaborate with Cutter. You should have done this a long time ago because you wanted to get married. Oh, I know, yeah. What was the story you get married after this? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would be like, let's talk about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a podcast, yeah, you never yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, and then number two, in the process of like talking to other people, um, <clears throat> I met a number of people that know Danielle and all say that you are sort of the the straw that stirs the drink. Like you're the best person to talk to in the room and you're amazing and wonderful and so forth and so on. Um, consistently. Wow. Consistently. They're like, you have to meet her. She's wonderful. Um, wow. You know, Colton did well. Does he know probably. the story about the, your guy that didn't believe you were a couple? Do you know that? Yeah, oh. that was my former boss. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so many guys wanted to date her. Oh. And they then he now, did he know you beforehand? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So he's like, no. That, He'd known her for like true. 10 years. And I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, we're dating. We're keeping it kind of hush-hush. And he's like, oh, okay. And then I was like, Daniel, he didn't really seem to react like I thought he <laughs> And would. then he called me. Yeah. Uh, to like check up? Oh, that's hilarious. Is it real? Uh, that's funny. So um, it's kind of like the Canadian girlfriend story. Like, I've got a girlfriend. You know, oh, she's yeah, in Canada. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, you know, here's her picture. Yeah. It's like, no, that was a stock photo. Yeah, man. exactly. <laughs> Uh, well then, so there goes that, that, and then, uh, Pritch, I, uh, we have a, uh, like a weird two degrees of separation for a number of years. Right. Um, and it, then I find out Colton tells me that you're doing their premarital counseling, um, which is wonderful and great. You also knew my youngest brother from his days at APU, yeah. um, and speaks really highly of you of being sort of a formative influence in his life while there. And then also Colton, that's a lot of what, um, you talked about as well. Um, but then for, as it applies to this book, it, what's fascinating is the, the kind of feedback I get of, of this question of when it comes to especially pastoral ministry, I'm like, why are, why is, why does everyone have to be married? Why is that the assumption? What's up with that? Um, and almost always the, the default response is this, well, how would you as a single person counsel or pastor married people? So I've done what, over 250 weddings. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, but, but what, so that's, Most of them are married. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I mean, and what's amazing to me is not only that that reveals so much about the church culture right now, that that's the default response, mm -hmm. because the other question is, well, that may only be half of the church anyway. So what about the other half of people that need pastoral ministry right. and leadership that are single? So there's that. And then also, why is it that we think that you have to be in the exact same life scenario mm. to be able to lead or, or speak into somebody's life. That's that's kind of odd and backwards. We don't do that with any of these other sort of right. arrangements. So that's why we're all here and around the table. Um, mm -hmm. And so 
the the book though begins or or kind of couches in this. We have this these internal narratives in the church um, that that really shape our imagination in really fundamental ways. Yeah. So my sort of opening question to to you, and then I'll ask you guys as well. Um, what would you? How would you describe that prevailing narrative? What What is the the story we tell within the community of faith about marriage and singleness um, as it currently stands? A, a question I learned to ask couples, and I don't know if we've. I think we've talked about this, but I don't know if we have. A question I've learned to ask couples is, how is the kingdom of God better hmm. by you two being together than by hmm. you being single? Hmm. You know. And most of the time they say, we have never talked about that. Mm -hmm. That hasn't even been in the equation. I mean, we've made a lot of assumptions about it, but that's not in the equation, which says to me, nobody's asking that question Mm -hmm. as they're even single Mm -hmm. or coming together. And, uh, you know, so in all of my experiences that um, the narrative that plays out in the church has always been, this is, this is what you do. This is what's normative. Mm -hmm. And so when my, you know, I have a good friend who is a single associate pastor in the East, my home church in Ohio was looking for a senior pastor. My yeah. parents were there. I recommended him. Um, they voted on him after meeting him, and he had a bunch of no votes. And he said to me, I can't go there. Hmm. And I said, no, they just don't know what it would be like. Hmm. And then he went, and it was wonderful. You know. Hmm. So I just think the whole narrative, we're working against that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. All the way along. Yeah. And do you see yourself, I mean, maybe now in retrospect, maybe not your whole life, but do you now as a single man teaching in pastoral, pastoral theology um, and leading, you know, soon-to-be couples, marrying 250 people. Um, do you then see yourself uniquely situated to help us in that regard? I mean, is that something you consciously think about? or I think about it in relationship to doing the premarital counseling, and because I'm sending those couples hopefully into places yeah. where they're going to infiltrate the culture, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I'm very, I mean, the mentoring I'm doing now, I'm still, I'm, I'm talking to the people who are married, who are dealing with all the issues that they thought marriage was going to solve, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. including, you know, sexual stuff mm-hmm. and every, everything that they just thought, okay, that's all going to be taken care of. And mm-hmm. then it's playing out in their marriage, mm-hmm. depending on whatever the history and narrative. I mean, for that matter, I, I think of females who've been brought up in very conservative homes in the church and have all kind of stuff in their heads about marriage that they're really angry about, mm-hmm. that they've been told all this stuff and everything that they don't know what to do with yeah. now that mm-hmm. they're married, that kind of thing. Huh. So, yeah. Well, that's a good question then for the two of you. So what, how would you describe, maybe Danielle, you can go first, um, being the woman in the room. Um, if you want to speak for all women everywhere. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, in, in, in truth, your experience uh, growing up um, as a woman, having, you know, Colton's boss know you and, you know, like, it's an interesting conversation, right? There's this whole outside group of people commenting on your suitability as a spouse to Colton, right? There's, that's, that's kind of interesting in its own right. What, what kind of stories did you inherit uh, growing up as a woman, um, maybe in the broader culture, but then specifically in the church? What, what was told either explicitly or maybe just in the things that people didn't say about what your future meant um, as a married or not married person? Um, I wouldn't say I was brought up in an explicitly religious home. There was a lot of God talk and a lot of divorce and remarrying in my family. Mm. So I didn't necessarily have, um, a lot of examples of good marriage working out. And then I kind of came to faith later on in high school. Mm. And that was kind of the time where I started reading things that would reconstruct my idea of what is possible with love and what is possible Mm. with marriage. So it was a lot of years of just healing lies and spending time tending to wounds in a way that I wasn't necessarily explicitly taught or modeled for. 
And then when I started becoming a lot more active in church, especially because when I started at my first church here in Los Angeles, I was in leadership and volunteering all the time and and stayed in leadership for a really long time. So the conversation was always uh, about people praying for my husband all the time, (laughs) which I really appreciated and I felt really (laughs) grateful for. A lot of people took me on as like some sort of little sister. (laughs) And um, I think I felt really protected and was really grateful (laughs) for that and grateful for the surrounding high expectations about who I was supposed to be with. But after a while, those expectations and so many people having so many opinions about who I I was dating as a a leader in the church um, built up a lot of pressure that started to affect even when we started dating. I had Mm -hmm. a lot of baggage because I had so many people's opinions about who I was supposed to be with as a person who was on stage, as a person Mm. who was in leadership. Mm. um, And it became really hard to wade through almost any dating relationship. Not to mention that there was just the expectation that you would be with somebody. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. like, and not only that it, it's this specific someone, but that of course you will be, will be, you know, Yeah. that's so fascinating because you, on the one hand, what a great example of community caring for you, treating you yeah. like a sister. Completely. On the other hand, obligating you with this burden, the sort of <laughs> onerous burden of the one thing we need to pray. It's almost like, you know, uh, you know, praying the demons out of you, right? Like we're going to pray this singleness out of you sister <laughs> and, and pray for this, anyway, in a more positive way. Um, uh, Colton, what about you? Uh, I, and, and maybe, uh, since you wrote your story a bit, um, how would you describe that narrative in the church that you inherited? Yeah, it's, uh, I think I was under less pressure because I wasn't as visible in the church. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get a lot of like, we're praying for X, Y, Z for you anyway, because yeah. I always felt like I was self-sufficient and just kind of going on about my way. And when regards to like marriage it was always like mostly like my mom going like, I'm praying for your wife, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but like my, my homies aren't like, bro, I'm praying for your wife. It was kind of like, you good, you're good. Cool. (laughs) You know, like carry on Mm -hmm. more praying for like career aspirational, be successful, finish your Mm -hmm. degree. Like, I think that's mostly where my narrative from the church Mm -hmm. became like, be strong, be wise, be hardworking, that kind of stuff. Um, Know the Bible really well, but I didn't feel inundated with like, you need to get hitched. Hmm. That was mostly like, I just like companionship. And I wrote yeah. in, even in the book, kind of growing up with like a hopeless romantic as a mom yeah. and watching rom-coms and being like, Oh, I want to be like that guy someday. Like, and this great, you know, lady and great romance. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my, I was more like imposed from culture and entertainment yeah. than the church. Yeah. Some of the idolatrous, I think ideas have to do with these really strict gender binaries that function in the church in that regard. So like, um, a wife then becomes this sort of um, nice support tool for your real calling, right? Yeah. So your career, your vocation, whatever it is, that's primary. And, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have some support? Whereas you, like your whole, the entirety of who you are is is couched in terms of finding this person. So that you should actually tamp down who you are to meet the needs of this, this other person that isn't you. Um, and that's some of the weird, that's the the implicit sort of narrative about it all that I, that no one comes out and says that explicitly, like Mm -hmm. don't, don't be successful, but maybe a little less, you know, (laughs) um, that's so damaging, not just in terms of marriage, but then just who you are. Quite honestly, I was annoyed by women I dated in the past who seemed to have no ambition and were looking to me as like, well, I'll support your work. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. What do you want to do? Like, I I can't leave myself, let alone us both. Like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like, it's a, you know, in college. (laughs) One of the things I I realized, Cutter, looking back, and honestly, I didn't know this for a long time, but looking back, 
you know, I think it was in the water that, yeah, everybody gets married and this is going to happen. But as I look back on it, our house was always full of people. Mm -hmm. And sort of mm -hmm. for my folks, in addition to mm -hmm. both of them working, the church was sort of hub, social hub yeah. and everything. And my mother was a great hospitality person. My dad was a great conversation. So she supplied the food and he supplied the talk. And uh, <laughs> But we had people in our house mm -hmm. constantly and different people. And I think that's part of my interest in people. And they would say, well, this is why they're the way they are, whatever. But... I think what I got out of that was not that, wow, I can't wait till I grow up and get married and have mm -hmm. a family. It's all of these people are my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I had a real sense mm -hmm. of, and I think that's been my life. Uh, I thought, yeah. well, if maybe I should get married or I'm supposed to get married yeah. or do I want to get married? But honestly, I wouldn't have what I've had in my life mm -hmm. if I had been married because I'd have a different kind of commitment level to a certain person and a family. So I think I got out of that somehow that yeah. this, the more people, the merrier, yeah. you know, this isn't about me just finding somebody. Yeah. Mm. So as you then, uh, counsel people that are going to be sort of, uh, committing to themselves in this, this relationship, um, how do you navigate that? The, the, <laughs> the goods and bads. I mean, cause I could see how your entire life is a demonstration of like, here's the value of this way of being. Right. Um, mm -hmm. in some ways you're giving up that possibility for another possibility um is it is that a is that a struggle to not become like an advocate well actually maybe it's not a struggle i think my dad um when he's done premarital counseling i haven't i haven't dared to do it yet my wife and i've thought about it for a little while but <laughs> i'm like i think the best premarital counselor is trying to get you not to get married um and if over and against all of that you do anyway okay then you're good but uh, i mean that may not be true but is that <laughs> i think you have a couple like read your book i don't know that like sells you as a marriage counselor <laughs> oh yeah no 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 like, it doesn't honey you want to go to this guy although well that's what your your uh, question about the kingdom of god so fascinating because that reorients the whole conversation i think you have to try and figure out what's the motivation behind what they're yeah. doing if it's selfish, if it's their own need or whatever, that changes the whole equation. And then it becomes about what am I going to get out of this? Um, it's very different if they're motivated to say, I mean, I just had a, I walked a couple through a breakup, a dating couple walked through uh, that this last year, been together two years. But we did that and we I had them take the testing, do a whole, mm -hmm. whole thing to kind of measure where they were at. The whole thing was he was so committed to ministry hmm. that she was never happy with the amount of time that he could give to her. Hmm. And they had to make a decision together, which they did. Made yeah. a great decision hmm. is to say, no, we're not on the same page with yeah. this. Um, so this isn't going to work. I mean, she wasn't that she wasn't committed to ministry, hmm. but the level of balance yeah. was out of whack for them. Yeah. And hmm. I've had couples break up, you know, when we do the counseling because they just say this isn't going where we yeah. thought it was going to go. Hmm. So I think the big thing for me, for myself, at some point, figuring out nobody gets everything they want. <laughs> uh, you know, everything's a, everything's a, really. I mean, <laughs> everything's a choice. You know, so except for you, I mean, every time you choose something, you give up something. You know. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> and, you know, and so you have to recognize what am I giving up? Because I yeah. have people who are married will say, "Oh man, I wish I could do what you do," you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, "Well, I mean, but you've made yeah. a choice, yeah. and that's fine. You yeah. know, I mean, that's good. But yeah. you have to honor the choice. I yeah. have to honor the choice that I've made yeah. because there are things I don't have yeah. as a single male yeah. that they have." Um, Danielle, it'd be interesting though, if because you you didn't know preach beforehand, right? Mm -hmm. It's only through this. So um, as you're thinking, and then you guys are like, "Okay, let's do premarital counseling." How did how did that come up? Of who was going to do it? Uh, and 
Well, you're giggling. I didn't, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I, this isn't a knowing question. Well, but, yeah. because I've had so many older brothers yes, in yes. the past who are all like pastors, um, I always had a vision that one of them would be doing uh, my premarital counseling, would be marrying me, whatever. Yeah. But when I started dating Colton and he was talking about Pritch, he was like, this is non-negotiable for me. Uh, uh. Like either Pritch marries us and does our premarital counseling or like that, I, this is, I can't. There's, there's no conversation. I so she's really been angry at me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. this guy. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I would, to be honest, I was like, a, I was really grateful because I, I trust and believe the impact that Pritch has had on Colton's life. And yeah. I've seen that. And Colton time and time again points to Pritch as the, like a major turning point for him. And so I did, I did deeply trust that. But I did, you know, my own ego was like, well, what about me? What about someone yeah. who knows me really well? Mm-hmm. And it's like, this guy just going to like, mm tell me all the ways I need to treat Colton better, you know? And I couldn't yeah, have been... Which cut is to the first silly. session. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to talk about that? So, oh, so, such silly defensiveness. But yeah. then the first session, I mean, like, it it's impossible to... all about what to, I was doing. Yeah. It's impossible to meet Pritch and not feel disarmed and yeah. Yeah. warmly accepted. But also in our very first premarital session, we're like, yeah. we broke through some walls that I think only Pritch yeah. could have huh. brought us into. No, I don't think another any other human being could have brought us where we were. And it ended up being a really important conversation for us. Yeah, that was my. I think that was my my lead into that question of what then's been the most surprising thing. Like knowing that you didn't pick it initially. Yeah. What what's been the thing that you're like, oh, that was not what I expected coming out of this. I think it's watching. We talk a lot about having older mentors and the mm-hmm. lack of older mentors, and Pritch being one of the only people that we can really point to mm-hmm. um, as like a steady, wise force mm-hmm. in Colton's life and now in our lives. And so watching the way that he um, can speak into sensitive areas and lead us gently um, into that space, even if it's uncomfortable, has been surprising and really beautiful for us. It started, our first premarital session started a wave of very deep and important and powerful conversations that have changed the way we interact with each other since. Yeah. Does that sound accurate too? Yeah. Were you were you in the know that that was going to happen? No, I didn't see coming at all. We took a. He just kind of did a meltdown. <laughs> uh, well, we were like at a public restaurant. I'm like, we're getting into deep issues right now with like dad issues, like right off the bat at a mm-hmm. Houston's. Like, I'm like, oh. okay. Uh, well, and it was tough because Pritch has a lot of. Uh, the word that came to mind was ammunition. Not that you would use it ever against me, but yeah. he just knows everything. Yeah. So that's why I was like. There's very, I mean, there's probably, that's probably one of the only areas in our life where I was like, look, I'm going to unanimously like make this decision by myself. This is, this is what we need to do. Cause there's no one else in my life that I either trust that much or that I feel like has the a unique ability to see people. Yeah. And yeah. I knew, I knew most of the people that she was thinking of as someone that could marry us. I'm like, they're great and they've done it a thousand times, but it's going to be like kind of a flyover view yeah. of us. And he's just seen me through formative years, early twenties mm-hmm. mistakes to like, later 20s becoming an adult and correcting course and i'm like that's just gonna shortcut so many issues that we have yeah and the first yeah the first session was him saying things that danielle has experienced but then they're looking at each other like wow we've experienced colton in very different Hmm. ways and we this has both come up with both of us and we've seen it and we we love you enough to tell you and it was just it was just kind of a curveball. I was thinking yeah. like this is going to be orientation to like, you know marriage counseling, and instead it was just like this deep dive into uh, my character issues and defense mechanisms and 
you know. I'm not defensive. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, I just tend to get very quiet. And oh, <laughs> like, man. A friend of mine who's a psychologist was asking me recently, like, because I'm doing mentoring, and he said, I want you to train other mentors. So what would you train them to do? And we started talking about mentoring. And I said, a lot of times the first question I would ask somebody who has sought mentoring is I'll sit down with them, I'll look at them, and you know, I usually have some relationship, but I'll say to them, okay, what's the one thing that you're thinking about that you don't want to talk about that we should start with, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times that just breaks things open for early. But yeah. I, I just think, I think for people going into ministry, people mm-hmm. getting married, it has so much to do with self-awareness. So yeah. How do you understand yeah. yourself? How do you understand the implications of, mm-hmm. of you, who you are on other people? Yeah. I like to say, yeah. none of us knows what the room mm-hmm. is like without us in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when you come or go, do people, are they glad you leave? Are they, do they yeah. want you to stay? Mm-hmm. What happens? What's the dynamic? And so I think, Communication is huge. If you know yourself and you can talk mm. about anything, then mm. get it all on the table. But mm. I know that's painful. Uh, it can be painful. So, Well, it's also, I think the most painful part of it was like you're talking about a specific issue and you're talking about it as, Colton, you've shared this and I've seen you walk through it. Right. And then Danielle's saying, and I've experienced yeah. the hurt you've transmitted because of this. Uh, and so it was like this crazy domino effect, you know. Not to mention, I mean, because how long have you been dating now officially? Two years. Two years. Two years. I mean, that's still very... Very young, yeah. you know, in terms of the relationship. And you just can't help but front, right? I mean, like, yeah. you can't, it's just as a human to say, like, I don't want you to know quite yet this. Or, yeah. or maybe even it's subconscious. Like, I don't realize that I'm mm-hmm. I'm putting on this sort of, um, uh, this mask or whatever. But, yeah, to have someone that can really quickly reveal yeah. all that at once. Um, well, Richard Rohr said, you know, if you don't, if your pain is, if your pain is not transformed, you, that's what I was kind of transmit your, yeah. That's, yeah. that's why I was loosely also, quoting yeah. when I said like a transmitting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love that quote. Cause that was to me, that full spectrum of that experience, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so Pritch, what would you say, um, you know, hearing all this is very transformative, right? The, the good <laughs> of all of this. So welcome, let's, that's right. Um, you know, uh, I like to play best and worst, uh, when it comes to the church, cause God love them. <laughs> they're, they're my people, but, but, yeah. but man, they're frustrating. And, and I include myself in that. Like I've perpetuated many of the same, uh, issues and problems within our, our, our culture and our churches that, um, that I'm calling out either in the book or just elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, as you think through um, sort of your life as a single man in the church, um, w- if you were going to play best and worst, what were what were some of the things that you would say were the most like caused the most woundedness um, being a single man, and and not even necessarily saying you identify as that forever, but right, right. Um, and then what are, what are some of the ways the uh, inverse, like what are some of the things you go, wow, this. I wouldn't have found this anywhere else but in a religious community uh, when it comes to your singleness. I think the I think the difficult stuff is uh, part of what motivates me when Chip Anderson, who did the Strengths Finder thing, yeah. and I were talking one day, and he said, what's at the core of this for you? And I said, the core of it is my being a safe place for people. Hmm. And, uh, and so I used my six-word memoir is needed, found, became a safe place. Hmm. You know, and I just mm-hmm. said, I think in the church, I so often found such such a closed community. Mm-hmm. Where do you, how do you process whatever you need to process yeah. in a safe way? You know, you kind of, you drag stuff around with you. And I've seen that over and over again in the years since I was doing that myself. So then it's like, if everybody's dragging all this mm-hmm. stuff with them and is, we're supposed to be getting set free, mm-hmm. and everybody's in bondage and burdened yeah. down by mm-hmm. this and everything, what does it look like to actually set people free? Mm-hmm. What does it actually look like to be a safe place? So I think that's motivation for me, mm-hmm. but it was out of my own process. Sometimes yeah. I'd say to students in a classroom, uh, you just reacted to me like I handed you a diamond 
that if mm. you had any idea of the garbage heap that was formed on, <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to know it, you know, because <laughs> it's just the stuff we all go yeah. through in life and yeah. everything. And then, and then it's like, okay, this is what came out of that. And so I think when you're intentional, even in that stuff and not walk away mm. from it, some good stuff can come out of it. But I would just say, I think the hard stuff has been watching people suffer, mm. you know, because of whatever has kept them in the church, in bondage, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, and watching that and caring about that and wanting to help people sort of break free of that kind of stuff. Mm. So those have been, that's the, the downside, but I'm also committed to try and make a difference mm. with that. The good side for me is I think actually my being in a role, in a pastoral role, mm. has in some sense taken away the singleness issue. Uh-huh. I think it's allowed uh-huh. me to function in people's lives in mm. ways that there's something that's a greater priority mm. for them. Yeah. So when I started mm. out, I started out on a, ca- a college campus working right out of seminary and so i'm mostly with younger people for the next 12 years mm-hmm. and and i thought of myself as being kind of that young i like yeah. that you mm-hmm. know kept me there but yeah. you know and i and i think out of that um it sort of let me evolve into who i was mm-hmm. and develop kind of the, okay this is who you are and it seemed like somehow it was more important that i was able to be who i was mm-hmm. regardless of whether i was single or not now when i moved to California from Boston, uh, two actor friends from New York, and I moved here to start a film company. <laughs> and um, and I moved here, so I was just attending the church. Well, the a woman in the church showed up in the office one day and just doing her thing where I was attending, but she said, by the way, I'm the wedding coordinator for the church, and I will start at any point you need me to. In other words, <laughs> I'll introduce you to somebody. <laughs> you know, I, mean, sorry, she just, I didn't know her at all, you know, but she's laying this thing on me immediately about that. And I'm just kind of, thank you very much. And then her mother, who happened to be the pastor's wife, uh, you know, sort of picked up the mantra, you know, I know somebody who, you know, well, then that mother actually went to a, a seminar that the singles pastor who was married of the church was doing. And he talked about um, the gift of celibacy. And the pastor's wife came back to me and she said, I am so sorry. I should have never talked to you about that. She said, I never even considered the possibility. This mm. is who you're supposed to be, you mm. know, and which was an interesting conversation yeah. out of that mm. whole thing. But it showed a lot of great stuff on her part <laughs> that she sort of backed down. But it was it. But here she was, an older pastor's wife who said, I never thought about the fact yeah. that maybe this is who you're supposed to be. Yeah, which is so fascinating, given like church history. And I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, this, I, that, that how, you know, I, I, it is it is interesting that that that's how we operate. Um, and I, you know, a couple of the, some responses specifically from single people, um, cause it, it is about merit. It's about everybody, um, what we were writing about, but, um, it does seem to, um, uh, affect single Christians in a, well, in a uniquely painful way, I think, mm-hmm. um, that, and, and maybe because they're also isolated in some ways mm-hmm. and, and then the, the way that it pains and, and the pain points for married Christians at the very least, they do have the the partner to interact with and fight with and you know struggle with, um, and and yet here we get back to these on the ground realities of the the, the uh, wife of the pastor coming and saying you know I'm going to do this for you. So my my, uh, oh yeah. my current pastor, senior oh yeah. pastor, who's a good friend, is 61 and single. Hmm. I never married. Hmm. Uh, twice engaged, but he said there's sort of an uh, engagement protection program from him. You know, <laughs> but you know, he just he jokes about that and everything. And, and he's a good, healthy model, although he that has come out of that's an evolution yeah. for him as well. Um, but you know, I think you know, so I think having a model like that uh, speaks volumes to people yeah. and to single yeah. people. 
about who they are mm-hmm. you know, when they're seeing somebody else function in that mm-hmm. way. And they're going, oh, this is a fairly healthy individual who mm-hmm. knows how to talk openly about who they mm-hmm. are and put stuff on the table to say, you know, this is, helps married couples understand yeah. that too. Um, so I'm just saying the more yeah. models that are out there like that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the initial title of the book we, we joke, was Sex, Saints, and Singleness. Um, <laughs> but the saints was the really important part that, that at least Protestants don't, we don't have that just in general of who are our champions of the faith. But we really do, and they become the de facto sort of senior leaders of organizations, mm-hmm. most all of whom are married. Um, and so a big push of the book is we need to identify, yeah. uh, you haven't gotten to that part, I think I named that as well, of here, and I then referenced Colton's contribution, I'm like, here's a man that should be held up as sort of a paragon, people that are doing this, of like, here's what you can aspire to, similar to when I'm at my church and saying, we need more women on the stage for the simple fact that I have three daughters, and if their entire sort of religious imagination is shaped by only men show up on the stage, I'm eliminating from their imagination the possibility they might be called to ministry um, or any sort of leadership in the church. So in a similar way, and yet we keep hitting that sort of, uh, I don't know, it's a glass ceiling or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say are ways we can make saints uh, as Protestants? Like how do we... Is it just we intentionally hire more single people? Do we put them in different positions? Is it, uh, and I know there's no formula, but what, what have you seen that's been effective? Um, and obviously in your own church right now, it's been somewhat effective. Well, interesting that I remember doing a survey in Pasadena at the church where we surveyed people and asked them to sort of identify who they were by that category. They single mm-hmm. or married or whatever. But when you took all the people who were widowed or divorced, mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. never married and all, mm-hmm. you put them together, at least half the church was would be under that label. Mm-hmm. Adults would be single, mm-hmm. you know, but they didn't see themselves that mm-hmm. way. And mm-hmm. I think even younger people a lot of times don't think that see themselves as single. It's just I'm not married yeah. yet. Yeah, you know, this is just yeah. I'm, I'm temporary. I'm in this yeah. status. I started teaching a class of young adults who were in their twenties mm-hmm. uh, when I first moved to California. And it was very interesting. The thing grew like crazy, and there were about 85 people who just hung out together and had a great time together. Not many were dating each other. It was sort of like they were just all getting to know each other. But then pretty soon, after about a year, they started pairing up, and marriage started (laughs) happening out of that. So it's sort of fascinating for me to watch. I was trying to think, are they really going that? Do they know they're going Mm -hmm. that direction? But most of them would have said, I'm not really a single person, this stage of life kind of a thing. So I, I think, yeah, the more we put... And the more we have conversations yeah. about this, that's yeah. why your book is so valuable. The more we have conversations about this and put it out there and yeah. talk about the value of or not, if we could get some married people to talk mm-hmm. about the difficulties that mm-hmm. they've had in yeah. marriage, that would normalize some things a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but they're often in the church. People are putting a face on that because mm-hmm. they don't ever talk about mm-hmm. it, about the stuff they're dragging through life mm-hmm. until there's a divorce or something mm-hmm. like that. So. And we're all shocked. Like, what? It, yeah. It's yeah. not yeah. perfect and it's not wonderful and yeah. it doesn't meet every need. And I I don't, I can't remember if it's, it landed in the book or not, but I joke about my 13 year old self and thinking about marriage, you know, it was essentially just this relationship that met all of my needs <laughs> As, <laughs> and imagine what the 13 year old need yeah. would, yeah. you know, and it was <laughs> primarily my, yeah, yeah. Yeah. my, my sexual needs, my video game needs yeah. and my laundry needs. Like that was my like. Like perfect vision of married life, right? And I'm like, wow, how odd that what we counsel people towards, if you're an inherently sort of self-interested person, seeking uh, satisfaction of your self-interested desires, like, oh, here's a thing you should do. You should go get involved in a lifelong commitment to another human where you're asked to sacrifice every one of your needs at every moment of every day. That's the only way it's successful. For some reason, we've said the answer to those uh, sort of self-interested desires is this 
opposite relationship, and we surprised that it, it fails. What you're gonna? Well, I, there's so I just it keeps coming up in my radar. There's actually um, uh, an associate pastor at my former church who was telling the guys that they'd become more respected if they got married, mm. and was encouraging openly. Men, he's openly saying this. Openly saying oh. that to just the men, mm. and at one mm. point was going to ask me to come speak to the men's group about how to pursue a woman. So they could get married yeah. to gain more respect yeah. in the church. <laughs> I, actually, I can't think of any female figure who is single mm-hmm. that who is like older and is in any sort of pastoral role. Mm-hmm. How tragic that that's maybe there's the one that the four of us can think of. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm sure there might be one or two others that, that aren't around, but yeah. Connor, I think I, I would say one of the first mm-hmm. students I had ministry students female students was struggling to choose the best student. Mm-hmm. She was struggling because she felt called to ministry, but didn't believe she should be huh. in ministry because mm. she had been told that her whole life. Mm-hmm. And then she was single at that point, trying to figure that out. I gave her some things to read, try yeah. to help her. Cause she'd say theologically, I think it's wrong, but I believe I'm called. And then I gave her some things to read and then she came back. She, I realized I'm putting mm. a theological label on it. It isn't a theological label. Mm. I've just never seen a woman in that role who didn't mm-hmm. act like she was trying to be a man. Huh. You know, yeah. I didn't have a, who yeah. felt like I had to behave and be a certain way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she said, I just not have ever had this model for me to see the way that happened. I really think mm-hmm. some of this does. <clears throat> I think the narrative has created people mm-hmm. who are single, who believe the narrative and they function in the mm-hmm. narrative in the church community as if they don't belong in leadership mm-hmm. or they mm-hmm. don't, they don't move ahead. So I think in many ways, instead of looking for places to yeah. serve, they they come feeling deficient mm-hmm. or as if I don't belong. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, sociologically, the first question anybody ever asks when they go to a new group is, mm-hmm. do I belong here? Mm-hmm. And so then if you've got a person functioning in a community mm-hmm. where they don't really feel like they belong, mm-hmm. but they want to belong, mm-hmm. you, you're operating out of a deficit right from the beginning. Or, or what's placed in front of them is this potential to belong in really meaningful ways but only if you get married. Like if you do yeah, this yeah. thing, then I'll really be a part because of it. Because the second yeah. question is sort of who has power here. Yeah. And, you know, and then if they don't feel they do, they're mm-hmm. stuck in that. Yeah. That. That's for me, I feel like as I'm used like a silent observer in most spiritual and church communities for, mm-hmm. you know, the bulk of my life. Mm-hmm. And at the church that we both met at, like that's, and I didn't know that that dude was having that conversation with <laughs> men explicitly, but yeah. it was very much like, if you pay attention, you're like, everyone is a married guy. Mm-hmm. There's not a single guy anywhere mm-hmm. in power here, maybe in the band, mm-hmm. but like, you know, that's not the same thing, but it, it's like a very unspoken thing. Mm-hmm. You just notice it everywhere mm-hmm. you go, no matter how, you know, cool or, you know, fashion forward the church is, <laughs> it still has very like old school roots. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, even I was going to seminary as I was going to the church and I was like, my degree will not get me any further in this church. Mm-hmm. But if I marry one of these women that everyone knows, mm-hmm. that'll get me ahead. Mm-hmm. And that. I just makes my stomach churn. I freaking hate it. Well, that's what I mean. That's all the, that's the difficulty of talking about something that goes unspoken, yeah. right? That there's all this unspoken stuff that we're trying to name and it really only comes out in stories and sort of experiences. And, um, and then you sort of get a sense or a feel for it. Um, but even then it's, you know, maybe this one pastor you're mentioning, if you pressed him and said, should all Christians get married? Or, you know, maybe he would say yes, but I think on the whole, think theoretically people are like, oh, well, of course, no, you know, maybe they're what, you know, just yeah. the data alone, half mm-hmm. the church is, you know, but, but in fact, everything else we do and everything else we say very powerfully and strongly and clearly pushes everybody in this one direction. 
Well, I was just, I just was thinking about the, this idea of belonging. Mm-hmm. So we're part of a, like a small group kind of home churchish thing where there's 12 of us mm. and the, the 12 of us, 10 of us are couples mm. and there's two single people including mm-hmm. Jolyn, mm-hmm. and it's called Boathouse. And it's always a, it's tough because by the very nature of us being in relationship, we create a space where mm. sometimes those two single people feel like they don't yeah. belong. And so we have to be super, super intentional yeah. right. about how we pair up yeah. or group up. Anybody have kids yet? Things. No, uh, no one has kids yet. Just wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the next. No, well, so we're starting to, people are starting to move away a little bit, uh, too. The group so will probably dissolve when people yeah. have kids. Yeah, yeah or it'll <laughs> more, and maybe we'll invite, we'll get yeah. some more single people in there, mm-hmm. so yeah. it won't feel like that, but. So my, uh, so my pastor yeah. said, uh, who's single, about when he was a young adult, the church he was going to, they had a class that was named Pairs and Spares. <laughs> Stop. Wow. So, I mean, you know, that was the name of the class. Yes. In other words, I, mean, I think they were meant to be welcoming, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't exactly do oh, perform. I'm curious to know, Cole, I'm curious yeah. to know about because when you were single, when you were not, and you've been, you know, through past relationship, you wanted to find somebody. Mm-hmm. You really did. And I, that didn't diminish your heart for ministry and all those things, but. But it really was dominant for you. Yeah. You know, it was. And so I'm, I'm curious about how you feel about the balance of that now when you think about it. Because that was what was going on in you at that point. I think a lot of it actually stems from feeling like I had I don't have a lot of places in this world where I feel like really seen and really involved mm-hmm. and really like I'm a collaborator. Mm-hmm. And so I, I looked at like I imagined like a strong woman who would be like inspirational and smart. And I read like you know, certain authors like Tim Keller were like, my wife introduced me to this author and this person. She shaped my spiritual out, like my spirituality and how I think now. She was just so smart when I met her. And I'm like, yes, like, where's that? Like, where's this best friend who challenges you and it's creative and like tees up projects you can work on and makes you smarter and like you can co-lead. I'm like, that's what I want. Like, I don't want a subservient follower. Like that stressed me out. So I (laughs) think feeling like you need another person to do that. Like, yeah, because I have a very small intimate group of friends. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot for me to like let someone in. So I imagine having like a wife would be like the penultimate version of that. Like would be the most trusted confidant, the person, no matter if you leave Mm -hmm. LA, she goes, you go together. Mm -hmm. You're never really leaving anything by yourself Mm -hmm. or going towards something by yourself. So that was always appealing me is because I always felt like I had like kind of a nomadic Mm -hmm. life. I was like, oh, I would love to do this with somebody. Mm. I feel like it get better. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's empty and I can't do it because most of my life I was single and did just fine. But there was always just kind of like a, I wish there was someone here who appreciated this and was hungry for it and just kind of had that like shared inner restlessness mm. that we mm-hmm. can kind of go after together. Uh, so, yeah. You're talking about the small group and thinking about that was part of what also sort of drives what I do. Uh, I majored in psychology in undergrad. My I thought I was going to teach psych. Um, my major professor did an experimental group uh, with college students who were dating, seriously dating or engaged. He asked six couples to meet with him over a regular basis over a year's time to stay together no matter what happened, that they couldn't break up. But he was really trying to figure out what happened in their relationships with doing that. At the end of the year when he did that, uh, three of the couples broke up for good. <laughs> One of them postponed the marriage. All you know, Christian dating couples. His his assessment of that was that these this was a Christian university setting. That they come from separate places. They come to a place where they are not really known except by their peers. Mm-hmm. They have nobody really speaking in their life mm-hmm. except peers going, "Yeah, good for you." <laughs> kind of a, you know. They come together in a relationship. They don't have anybody else who sort of, they're not, even if they're on the background of a church or whatever, 
and then somebody marries them who's probably a pastor from home who meets with mm-hmm. them one time to, yeah. you know, he said, it's a setup. Mm-hmm. It's a setup mm-hmm. for, you know, lacing <laughs> the spirituality of, mm-hmm. you know, God's will and whatever else with that. And he said, this is a setup for all the divorces we're experiencing. So yeah. part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, back to that question, was learning from him and saying, mm-hmm. what happens when you, when people mm-hmm. really deal with this stuff seriously? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and that, that even, I mean, that's a more fundamental issue of, of pastoral counseling. Like, do we, as a church, are we all a bunch of nomads in a, sen- in, a, in, a, in a sense that the sort of modern American church is sort of operates as if we all kind of gather maybe once a week mm-hmm. and then we go our separate ways and we've mm-hmm. done our thing. Um, and it's, we're not the family you described before right. this broaden or the, this broadening family of, of brothers and sisters in Christ where <clears throat> a bunch of sort of dyads or singles yeah. kind of coming in together. So as, as you two now look, what do you have a date set? April. Is it April. Ooh, yeah, next wow. year. So it's we'll coming. be engaged for almost as long as we dated. Oh, there you go. That, do you, you know, know where the wedding is? Uh, I don't. In France. Oh, <laughs> I hadn't heard. I, maybe maybe you did tell me that. Um, wonderful. There you go. Um, so we're trying to give our friends I, a lot of time to plan. I I check up on my French. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will uh, make my uh, book my plane tickets today. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, it'd be interesting to know if you've. Now thought through, in part because Pritch is doing, you know, your mentorship just in life, but then also your premarital counseling. Have you thought about that that kingdom question of like, okay, how then does our marriage serve a Johan? How does our marriage serve the the spares <laughs> in a way that makes them so obviously not the spares anymore? Um, has that come up? Have you have you discussed that? What does that look like for you? Yeah, you want to take that? Where do you start? I mean, because I as you before you answer, because I will say never crossed my mind when I was uh, engaged. In, in I got marriage. trapped in that yeah. question when I was in college once and I never forgot it. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm always going to have an answer. Oh, good. Oh, good, good. Because I was dating someone I shouldn't have been dating. And they're like, well, if you're not dating for the kingdom. And I was like, oh, well, shit. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think even with the small group, it, Danielle started it. It's basically a house church. We don't really call it that, but it is boathouses and as an analogy to docking and then sending yeah. out. It's a boathouse church. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> how have I not heard that before <laughs> um, and so I very much came in passively when I was dating her and I was like I have to earn all these people approval but it slowly morphed into like a collaboration and it's like we are now actively trying to figure out how to serve and empower our community and not just like serve a Johan because he's single but also mm-hmm. like how do we empower what Johan naturally likes to mm-hmm. do and wants to do like no matter whether he's single or married and yeah. how do we how we the word that we've had for our the theme that we've chosen, not only for our wedding, but for our marriage is generative. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. how do we be a generative mm-hmm. couple to where people hang out and they're like, God, that was just like, like they close the door, kind of what you said, like, what do people feel when they leave mm-hmm. the room? I want people to close the door and leave the house and be like, that was so refreshing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. holy crap. Like, that felt great. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like I was hanging out with Colton and Danielle as they like mm-hmm. kissed and cuddled and were like, oh, our mm-hmm. life's so great and planning for their future. They were like... No, it just felt like three people looking at each other going like, yeah. life is complex. There's ups and downs. Like, what are we doing? What's exciting you? Yeah. And just all kind of looking at each other as peers as opposed to like a spare. Um, and that, that to me is how we look. You serve. remind me that when I, I moved to California, I was 36. And, you know, and before I decided to teach that young singles class, I tried going to a singles group hmm. that existed, which was mostly people who were older or mm-hmm. divorced or whatever. And it was the most 
downer. <laughs> every week the same stuff so yeah. much pain and yeah. so much stuff mm -hmm. and I, I can't do this i gotta yeah. and part of the reason i started the young singles 20s i just needed to get back into places that were energizing mm -hmm. you know from that because it was i think why would anybody want to be a part mm -hmm. of this because mm -hmm. these people need so much help it's really hard ministry to mm -hmm. do that yeah i think my uh my response has really morphed over time. Mm. I always imagined I'd be with someone who is like, you know, I'm a, I'm a doer. Mm. I like, I like to catalyze things. Mm -hmm. I like to bring people together. Mm -hmm. I like to host a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. I like to be with a lot of people. I like to have a lot of coffees. Um, <laughs> and so I just thought I would like find someone, grab them and pull them in and they would do everything with me. And we'd be hosting all the time and doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I actually found that in the most healthy way, the opposite has happened for mm. me in some ways where Colton has helped slow me down a lot. Mm. And has made me realize that so many of those things can become more beautiful mm -hmm. the more time I spend. I rest more. I take more mm -hmm. uh, self-time than I ever have in my whole life, and mm -hmm. I feel less guilty about it than I ever have in my whole life in a really beautiful way. So I feel like um, I'm doing more than doing less than I used to mm -hmm. and doing it so much better, or at least I feel better, mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm being a better friend and showing up to people better, but it's not the way that I thought, and I think I'm there's um there's a beautiful kind of meeting in the middle in marriage that's happening with um, maybe some of my world helped expand yeah. Colton's. My social circle. Is a <laughs> and, and, and even your heart, like your, yeah. your ability to take in a lot of different people and let them yeah. in and process them and walk through them, even though they're yeah. new, which I know is not always easy or fun for you right away. Yeah, it tickled the trust issues yeah. pretty early on. Yeah, and it challenged me to like... Um, take a more discerning look at my friendships mm. and my life and the way I was showing up to them and why I was showing up in the way that I did. Mm. And so it's a, I feel like it's allowed me to be more generative um, from a true authentic place as opposed to maybe a um, large quantitative impact. Mm. Well, and that kind of circles back to what you're talking about with like when you have a thousand people saying I'm praying for your husband <laughs> and then enter me mm -hmm. and I'm not a big fan of the expectations or pressures of people yeah. in general yeah. and I have heaping pressure and expectations for people I don't even know like now character judgments. I'm like, no. the great cloud of witnesses. <laughs> I was like, I'm your judge. just fine. Like yeah. I, without all of your opinions. And some of it was very sweet and lighthearted yeah. in the way, you know, people are like, well, I'm going to have to meet mm -hmm. with him first, you mm -hmm. know, and that's all good and well, but man, like, I don't think we would have dated or gotten together. Had we stayed in that church? Mm. I don't think it, there's any way mm. they would have broke us immediately. There'd have mm. been way too many back channel mm. conversations about, the dates or the things she said, I said, he said, mm. what do you do? Who's he with? What was, he took a picture mm. with her. What does that mean? Is he seeing mm. all that garbage, man? Like it, it would have, and the, just the immense pressure would have been, <laughs> I would, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know we would have done it. Good, right? yeah. I think some of the, one of the things that I've not ex really experienced, but I've heard singles talk about it in the church is that sometimes married couples do not know how to relate to a single. And mm. sometimes even depending on the gender, Somebody's mm. threatened in the marriage by the uh, relationship, mm. you know, uh, mm. you know, what's going mm. on? What's the dynamic here with this single person? Mm -hmm. If somebody's close, whether it's same sex or opposite yeah. sex, you know, like what, what's happening here? Yeah. What does this mean? Mm. And so a lot of them have said, I don't, I try and connect mm. with married couples, but yeah. it seems like it's out of balance. Mm. I don't know how to do that. Mm. Yeah. And that says nothing to what you're getting at. You said photo. I've immensely thought Instagram or whatever, yeah, like yeah, on yeah. social media. So the dating culture and relationship culture has so radically shifted on top of all of that, yeah. that we're all like, I, I can't imagine dating right now. I would be, I would be a psychological mess every day <laughs> when I wasn't getting likes uh, or whatever. I don't even know how Tinder works. Swipes. <laughs> I don't even know. But 
But that, that's, so that's my question then for you as you think through that and here, you know, like married couples don't know how to really relate to singles, vice versa, um, all these dynamics. Then you add on to it these sort of cultural expectations and conditions. So you marry 250 people. You've mm-hmm. seen a million, no, maybe not a million, let's say double that of, of uh, the Colton and Daniels come through your life um, and still a part of your life. Yeah. Um, as you've now watched both culture, church culture, broader culture change, what like worries you the most and what gives you the most hope? Like what's the thing that says, Oh, actually this is a good uh, change in there. Yeah. I think I always go back and try and track what's happened if a marriage doesn't work or what there's, you know, what's, what's happened with that. I mean, I pulled out of my file. I was just with a a guy in, in the East coast and I did their wedding at 11 and she left Hmm. in 15. Hmm. I pulled her copy of handwritten vows out of my file that I had kept. And I thought, how do you write this? Uh, you know, uh, and, and out of your own heart and mm-hmm. say what you said and then walk away mm-hmm. four years later. What mm-hmm. happened? Mm-hmm. Because it's just mm-hmm. like there's no room for uh, out of what you said mm-hmm. for that to mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you go back to what is how do you get that out? You know, how do you really mm-hmm. how do we get exposed, if you will? It would be easier mm-hmm. if we were all just transparent and mm-hmm. we couldn't hide anything. Mm-hmm. There are no secrets. We mm-hmm. just all could see everything that was mm-hmm. going on and everybody and do that. So I think it's just so complicated. I mean, I am hopeful in the sense that I have seen greater acceptance mm-hmm. over my lifetime, uh, you know, and movement of people, singles and, you know, leadership and doing those kind of things. But I think the I think it's also more complicated because marriages have become more complicated, mm-hmm. uh, at least overtly. Mm-hmm. And and, um, and that has played out and divorce has become more common in the church. Mm-hmm. And that makes relational stuff more complicated mm-hmm. in terms of what's going on. I think even I'll toss this out there too. I had I went through uh, a time for a number of years when I had a woman, a single woman, who was stalking me, literally stalking mm-hmm. me. And I still to this day have the file of stuff that she wrote and everything to me, mm-hmm. where she had believed that God had told her she was going to marry me and have my baby. Mm-hmm. And and she came to my house unwelcomed, and I mm-hmm. had to call police and do you know it was crazy stuff. So you're also dealing with all kind of instability yeah, around yeah. all the all that yeah. stuff about what people again the spiritual language mm-hmm. and this is what God is saying we're supposed to be, yeah. and so I, and it's it's not the same for everybody because all the even the different churches and denominations depending on mm-hmm. what they believe about the spirit yeah. or about <laughs> how God works, it get, it gets pretty messy you know so I I wish I could be more hopeful all I, all I guess I focus on is saying what can I do to make a difference mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and either enlighten. You know, people who aren't thinking mm. about this or doing that differently mm. or model something mm. for them. But I don't really have a lot of good handles to mm. say, here's what we need to do. Yeah. Maybe, Dan, you're a doer. <laughs> maybe you can tell us what to do. Well, maybe uh, maybe a yeah. better, another way of phrasing it, and, and this I, I, I honestly think is part of, you know, what I one of the prescriptions. And I'm a storyteller in general, and I think those are powerful in terms of, of you know, the, the details sometimes it's hard to tell because things change so fast and what worked right. once may not work for you or there. But in terms of how we shape this narrative, um, that I, that's something in, in, that I'm trying to do with my daughters, with, in churches, whatnot. How do we talk about publicly? How do we narrate these things? So mm-hmm. all of the various uh, people on the podcast I've started with, what's the story you inherited and then ended with, and so I'll end with each of you can answer as you, as you want. Um, given what we've inherited, given the complications that we've got, what then is the story about marriage and singleness in the church that you want to tell, um, that you'd like to pass on. Uh, <laughs> and we go quiet. Mm-hmm. This isn't the podcast where we get a pregnant pause. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I, I guess I want to respond a little bit. I'm thinking part of the reason I wanted to read what Joshua said based on your recommendation mm -hmm. is I'm thinking about, I've had conversations with pastor friends of mine is what a family even look like in the future mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of the changing dynamic of, uh, you know, acceptance of gay marriage. And mm -hmm. so I have a pastor friend who's, we've talked about, who's has a celebrity um, brother who's married to a, another man mm -hmm. and they have twins. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they had a, they had a person who was the egg donor and then they had a surrogate mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then they have these twins who are twins, but one of them DNA is one man's child and the oh. other one. And so they're also like a half brother and half sister, oh, wow. different fathers. And, but they also have a nanny, huh. now, you know, so we're just talking about what does family look yeah. like in terms of how you speak into life. And yet also what does the church do with these other options? You mm -hmm. know, I, I, I have a massage therapist right now, a great guy who I find out now over time is actually born female and is transgender <laughs> and is now a male. And so I've had interesting <laughs> conversations with him about that process. I just think life, you know, there's just so much stuff. I think the tendency of the church is to want to close ranks on those things and not yeah. and not deal with them. Yeah. And I think we have to. I think there's going to be a lot of reconfiguration mm -hmm. in the church, and I think there are going to be segments that don't deal with mm -hmm. that and other segments who are mm -hmm. trying to deal with whatever the messiness mm -hmm. of life is. And so I think it almost begs, where do you invest yourself? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'm i not good at just pounding on walls. I'd rather <laughs> deal with somebody who wants to work with something, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so I think I'd be more prone to say, what can we do here? Mm -hmm. What can mm -hmm. we do here? What can we talk about? But I think that may help. The whole issue around singleness, mm -hmm. given the mm -hmm. fact that you, it isn't just now you're yeah. male and female married and, or yeah. you're single. Yeah. You know, that may help. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You guys? I think a lot about what has happened in even the course of our engagement and our relationship. Um, I know this is like Christian cliche, but it is like very iron sharpens iron. Like I feel mm. like I've never had to do. And I feel like I, I'm pretty self-aware and I do a lot of soul work and I did a lot of soul work before I met mm -hmm. Colton, but the level of soul work that is required of intimate relationship when you care about loving someone in a genuine way has um, ch changed me. And I feel like it continues to change me in a really mm -hmm. moving way. And I watch that play out with my other relationships. And I think that is like the biggest value that I wish was, and we work on this a lot in Boathouse is like how to be loving mirrors mm -hmm. to each other so that what we have in intimacy with each other, we can actually share and practice with other mm -hmm. people. And so that, it doesn't feel like such an isolating thing. Yeah. I think about um, my roommate, who is one of my best friends, and she's become closer and closer and closer over time and spends a lot of time with me and Colton. She's divorced um, and single. And the way that we've been able to take our own soul work and let her in mm -hmm. has created a beautiful little family unit with mm -hmm. the three of us. Yeah. And um, We call her our daughter. We call her our daughter. <laughs> the fact that she's 10 years older than me. Yeah. Yeah. She's 10 years older than us. <laughs> Um, she's our daughter. Yeah. Um, but there is like a refining that happens mm -hmm. when you allow another mm -hmm. person in and she does mm -hmm. things for us that are beautiful and yeah. we have a lot of moments with her that we wouldn't have mm. if she wasn't there. So yeah. I think this opening of family, mm -hmm. um, whether you are single or you're in a relationship or you're married, I think is really important. And that's something I want to continue mm. to do. We talk about wanting a home where, um, her name is Aria, where we have lots of Arias on our mm. couch mm -hmm. who feel like when they're there... It's the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I want to encourage, I want single people too to feel empowered to create that for themselves. Like I was definitely mm -hmm. a very confident third wheel. I didn't mind that. <laughs> uh, I loved it. Um, and I would like love to empower other single people mm -hmm. to realize that there's 
it's not an inferiority. It's like to be empowered and mm-hmm. to uh, realize the special place you hold in that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, the question was like, what story yeah. do we want the church to have about Mary? Yeah. Or that, or that you want to tell. Cast or, yeah. 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 I think, um, I think the story that has helped me the most is I kind of have like this motto, I guess, whenever I pray, it's, uh, especially when like hard stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always look up to God or the sky. Sometimes I don't feel like there is a God. So it's just me and the sky, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I always go, it's only ever us. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like repeat that. And I don't mean that as like a, yeah. woe is me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could be married with 12 kids mm-hmm. and it, at the end of the day, when I take a walk at night, it's only ever us. Mm-hmm. And I've, uh, I forget what the name of the book was, but reading a book by a guy who actually graduated Fuller and hmm. I think it's like Grace Observed or something like that. Anyway, he was uh, in a, uh, Gary uh, Sitzer. Yeah, yeah, I think that's who it is. And he was in a car accident and yeah. it killed his mom, his wife and a couple of his daughters. And I was like, like that mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And he's back to a single guy now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you would know, not that you want to like <laughs> expect tragedy to happen out of nowhere, but it can and you never mm-hmm. know what could happen. And then your identity is based on anything besides it's it's only ever us. Yeah. And look, it's going to, it might be unrecoverable, mm-hmm. you know. And so I never want to feel like I'm beyond recovery or I'm beyond stability. And I feel like the only thing that you ever have is some deep sense of self rooted in your relationship to a benevolent creator. Or mm-hmm. I mean, it's everything that Roar teaches about mysticism and, and self-awareness to what you were talking about. And I'm like, I think married or single, your identity needs to not be rooted yeah, entirely in anything yeah. outside of you and God. So you wouldn't know this story about me, I don't think, because it's happened in recent years. But I was 12 years ago. My mother had died a number of years before. My dad had remarried. My stepmother was dying. My dad was getting older. And I went to a counselor because I needed to talk about mm-hmm. what's life going to be like for me without mm-hmm. a nuclear family. Mm-hmm. I don't have, I'm an only child, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to have parents or siblings mm-hmm. or spouse or children. Mm-hmm. What, and I wasn't afraid. I was just like, I don't know what that is. And I started that process of doing that. Well, then four years after that, a, a former student, I'm not one of my, I didn't know him as a student. We mm-hmm. graduated, but I uh, met him and he needed a place to stay and moved into my mm-hmm. house. I found out he, how he had, his mm-hmm. dad had disappeared when he was a young kid mm-hmm. out of his life. And at some point, based on our relationship, he said to me, um, I feel like you're the dad I never had. Hmm. Is that okay? Hmm. And I said, I've never had a son. You never had a dad. Let's figure. Hmm. And so now I have, because of that relationship, hmm. I actually have a son and a daughter-in-law and two grandsons <laughs> that was not on my radar screen at all. I'm talking to God about what's life going to be like when I don't have anybody. And then all of a sudden, so I guess I'm saying that yeah. to say, I, I think God has ways yeah. if you're open to that of configuring family. Yeah. For you, um, just like what you're talking about. Can I with... add one of the best parts of that story? Yeah. yeah. The, the fact birthday. that your first grandson was born on the same on day my, on my birthday. as Pritch. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. an immaculate conception. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, <laughs> a child that you did not birth is uh, now I your child. You know? didn't have to carry for 12 months. No. Thanks again to my special guests, Pritch, Colton, and Danielle. Check out Colton's podcast, The Back Pew, at The Back Pew. See all I got words. See all I got is this. And as always, thanks to Day Salah Thompson for providing us with these sweet musical styles. Hoping that would be a
return 